We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, it's my privilege to uh, continue and the series in 2 Corinthians that we have started. Oops, I shouldn't be dropping that on the floor. If you are interested in following the program, you can also pick up from the back one of these books, which is 2 Corinthians, the Gospel in All of Life. Before I start on 2 Corinthians, I just wanted to reflect upon this last week. I wonder what you were doing on Monday last week. I was watching some of the funeral of our late Queen and um, I just want to read a, a short scripture from 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy is Paul's very last book, uh, his epistle to Timothy and Paul was facing this prospect of imminent execution and in that context he writes, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to those who have loved his appearing. And I think the, one of the things that most struck me in the celebration of the Queen's life was her faithfulness to the Lord. You know, this, the Queen lived in privilege, in luxury, and yet her own testimony was that she was dependent upon the Lord every day. It says that uh, there's a crown laid up for her, a crown of righteousness. I watched a program called The Crown Jewels by Clive Mari, and it talks about the crown jewels in the Tower of London. And uh, there are, of the 13 crowns that are there, there are two that are in current use. And he described them as beyond priceless and yet the queen was very clear that there was a crown of righteousness for her, which was of greater value than any crown in this life. I wonder if we can think upon that ourselves, that there is a crown of righteousness laid up for each one of us. So let's move into 2 Corinthians. And uh, as I said, we are in a series uh, working together through challenging times. Is that going to work for me? Not at the moment. Have I got to switch something on? Is that right? Oh, yes, I have. Let me just see if that works. Nope. Um, perhaps you can, can you solve that for me, Catherine? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um, the other uh, subtitle for this is... Um, God working with us amidst the mess. Um, Chris and Stuart have, yes, no? Seeking God amongst the mess. He did, okay. Well, I have to nod at you to move on then, okay. Um, so Chris and Stuart have introduced the first two. Um, let's just read the scripture together. So can I have the next slide? Here we go. Right, so we can read the scriptures together. Uh, 
I'll be dotting around in Acts and uh, 2 Corinthians, and most of those scriptures will come up on the screen. So we're going to start from 2 Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirits because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ amongst those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God. But as of sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Chapter 3. Do we begin again to recommend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Want the next slide, please. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory." For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For, what if, for if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such boldness, we use great, have some hope, we have great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day when Moses is read a veil lies on their hearts Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The Lord, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, 
beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The first verses I read uh, posed some questions. Uh, furthermore, when I came to Troas, where's Troas? Um, I did not rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus. Who's Titus? And then it says he departed for Macedonia. Where is Macedonia? So we need to look at some of the context. I know Chris and Stuart have touched on some of the context, but I want to dig into that a bit more before we look at this part of chapter 2 and chapter 3. And really the theme, I think, of chapter 3 particularly is the glory of the new covenant, much more glorious than the old covenant, even though that itself was glorious. So can I have the next slide, please? So, first of all, Corinth. We read in Acts chapter 18 that Paul arrived in Corinth. So he was in Athens. And after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. They're very close to each other, as we will see in a moment. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila. So this is um, a Jewish man and his wife, Priscilla, who had uh, become disciples of the Lord Jesus. A man from Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. So Paul settles in Corinth and he um, begins to work. He follows his trade as a tent maker. Next slide. So a little bit about where Corinth was, because it's important to understand the context. So... Uh, you can see Corinth, uh, bottom left. Um, and Corinth was separated from the area around Athens by a very thin isthmus, a thin strip of land. It was all of six kilometers across. Uh, so in order to get from the south to the north, from the sea to the south, from the sea to the north, it was either six kilometers across land or it was about 700 kilometers by sea, three weeks at sea. So a lot of people, of course, wanted to go by land. So you arrived on one side of Corinth, unloaded your cargo and carried it across to the other side. Or you dragged your boat along there. There is a route, if you go there now, to the Dialcos, which is where you dragged the boats. The Romans and the Greeks dreamed about having a canal, and if you go to there now, you will find that canal, but it wasn't dug until 1893. Six kilometers long, 21 kilometers wide, connecting the two seas. But before that, there was lots of trade going across that isthmus through the city of Corinth. And Corinth had three major temples, one to Apollos, one to Asclepios, and the one to Aphrodite, from which we get the word aphrodisiac. And Aphrodite was the goddess of love and lust and pleasure. And her, she had a temple with hundreds of temple prostitutes. So Corinth was a wealthy city because of all this trade uh, going north and south, because of the, uh, and because of the temples. 
but it was also a city because of the temple of uh, Aphrodite that it was a very sexually immoral culture. And we read about in 1 Corinthians some of the challenges that they had with sexual immorality, but put it in the context of a highly immoral city with lots of um, prostitution. The other place, just a note, um, on the right-hand side is Ephesus. We're going to mention that in a moment. And to journey from Ephesus to Corinth by land was well over a thousand kilometers. Can I have the next slide, please? So we read that Paul actually stayed in Corinth. Uh, it says in uh, verse 18, he continued there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God amongst them. There was then some kind of um, disagreement. Um, and then it tells us that Paul stayed a good while longer before he left. So Paul had lived in Corinth and served and taught in the church for well over 18 months. Uh, and then he finds himself a little bit later in Ephesus. And verse, chapter 19 and verse 10 of Acts tells us that he was there for two years. Next slide, please. So why is Ephesus important when we think about 1 Corinthians? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it tells us that he wrote a letter to the Corinthians about, um, their, about keeping away from sexual immorality. And in the same uh, epistle, 1 Corinthians, it tells us that the Corinthians wrote to him. Chapter 7 and verse 1, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. And later again in the same epistle, chapter 16, verse 8, it tells you that he is in Ephesus. So Paul had written the letter, which we know as 1 Corinthians, from Ephesus and sent it to uh, Corinth. Next uh, slide, please. Okay. Then we read in 2 Corinthians, these words, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, but I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. So Paul is indicating that at some stage he had traveled to Corinth and it had gone badly. He was not happy. He was very sorrowful about what was happening. Verse 2, if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote to you this very thing, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those whom I ought to have joy. So this is indicating that Paul had written again to the people of Corinth, rebuking them for what was happening in the church. And the person who carried that was Titus. So here's this man, Titus, cropping up. Who's Titus? We don't know very much about him. He was a Greek convert. He was uh, certainly a Gentile. Um, a faithful servant of the Lord and a co-worker with Paul. And it's Titus who carries this letter to uh, Corinth. And clearly Paul had made arrangements to meet him in Troas. So 2, uh, 2 Corinthians 2 verse 12, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a 
door was opened to me by the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Paul was so concerned for the church in Corinth, how they reacted to this letter, that when he didn't find Titus in Troas, he said, I've got to go. I've got to go and find Titus. And he traveled to Macedonia, which is probably 500, 600 kilometers. So it's, it was not a, a small journey. And he went despite the fact that there seemed to be uh, an opening for the gospel in Troas. Um, and he finds Troas. So in chapter 7 and verse 13, we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit had been refreshed by you all. So Paul meets uh, Titus somewhere in Macedonia and he's got good news. The people of Corinth who are being drawn away by false apostles, uh, they have returned to the faith, to the gospel that Paul uh, his, has preached and remember he'd been there for over 18 months and it's indeed Titus who carries this book to Corinthians back to Corinth verse 8 and uh, chapter 8 and verse 23 if anyone inquires about Titus he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you our brethren are messengers of the churches so Titus is charged to go back to Corinth with the letter that we refer to as 2 Corinthians, and he's going to go with two other, at least two other men who are commended by the church. Next slide. Now, the people who are opposing Paul are other Jewish men. And Paul says to, of them in chapter 11, they are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into Christ. They are Jewish. We know that because Paul asked the rhetorical question, are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? Yes, they are. And so am I. So they are Jewish uh, false apostles. And very often what happened, and you read this consistently in the epistles, is when the false apostles turn up, they are telling people, Yes, you've got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you've also got to continue to keep the law of Moses. And that was clearly what was happening in Corinth. Next slide, please. So let's just go back to the verses where we started. Um, Paul is saying that um, he really wanted to meet Titus. He'd gone to Troas, couldn't find him there, and then he has moved on to Macedonia. And then he says what seems to be rather strange words, if you think about how it links. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ amongst those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, the peddling the word of God, but of sincerity. But as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. And I think Paul is here just reflecting upon his reception in Troas and perhaps in other places as he had journeyed to uh, Macedonia to meet Titus. And the picture he is 
uh, presenting is one of a victory parade by a successful Roman general. Writing to the Corinthians, it must have been something which they had seen. And in those parades, you had the general and his soldiers, but you also had the vanquished, the, the army that had been uh, conquered. And you had people who were swinging censers, so this was fragrant herbs and spices on, uh, on coals, and they were swinging them, and as they went, this cloud of pleasant odours uh, drifted across the parade and those who were watching. And it was also uh, typical for people to strew flowers upon the, gr the ground as the uh, procession came through and as the horses hooves and the chariot wheels and the men's feet crushed these flowers then the the aroma of the flowers would also fill the air and Paul is saying that we're a bit like the aroma in a parade because for those who are victorious this is a great celebration that it's really welcome this is the welcome of the community to the victorious army but that very same smell was death to the soldiers of the vanquished army because there was only one future for them, either execution or enslavement. So Paul says that we, as Christians and as the gospel, we are both welcome by those who are open to the gospel and hated and feared by those who are opposed to the gospel. Our gospel is one of hope and of restoration, but our gospel is also one of judgment. The scriptures are very clear. There will be a day when God will separate the sheep from the goats, the believers from those who have rejected the Lord Jesus. There is glory for those who have received the Lord Jesus and come under his kingship. And for those who have rejected it, there is an eternity separated from God. We mustn't forget that when we share the gospel. There are both two sides to the gospel. There's great hope, there's great glory, and there's also the possibility of an eternal separation from the presence of God. So that's how Paul finishes chapter 2. I say finish chapter 2. The chapters were only put in in the 13th century, so Paul would have written without chapters, indeed without verses. So, can I have the next slide, please? We're going to look into chapter 3. So, Paul then says, as he's writing, on what authority are we writing to you? Is it because uh, we've got letters of commendation, people have written, or is it that we've worked amongst you, you are our epistle? We don't need any external um, commendations we've worked to one you you know what we're like Paul would say I didn't even charge you I worked with Priscilla and with a uh, Aquila as a tent maker I paid my way you are the evidence of the work of God in your hearts we don't need any external validation of who we are and you'll notice he, he, used, he talks about 
um, being written on tablets of stone and tablets of, of flesh, the heart. We'll just pick that up in a moment when we have the next slide. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? And here's Paul now speaking about the new covenant being so much more glorious than the old. Why is this relevant? Because the, the false apostles in Corinth were trying to promote the value of the old covenant. And Paul is saying in this chapter, the old covenant, yeah, it was great, it was wonderful, but it's nothing compared to the new covenant. And uh, he talks here about things being written on uh, stone. And uh, so if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, where was it engraved? It was engraved on tablets of stone that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. And it was also engraved on precious stones, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, engraved on precious stones which are worn on a breastplate by the high priest. That's where it was engraved. But Paul is talking about engraved on the heart. Next slide, please. So this is where they're engraved. So we'll take the next one. I've explained that one already. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the tablets on which God had written the Ten Commandments, Moses' face was shining. So in Exodus 34, it tells us that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And so when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. So this is what Paul is referring to about the veil. Next, next slide. Uh, Verse 13, until, like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. And Paul is repeating this, that the Old Testament was wonderful, but that despite its glory, it is passing away. And it was glorious if you think of the first tabernacle. So that was the mobile um, temple that the people of Israel carried through uh, through the wilderness and used right through the time until Solomon was made king. When that tabernacle was completed, it tells us that it was filled with the glory of God. People couldn't enter because the glory of God was present in that temple. And when Solomon completed his temple, we also read that that temple was filled with the glory of God. Indeed, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant was glorious, but what we have today is far more glorious so that the old fail, fades by comparison. Next slide, please. Paul is talking about 
things that are written on tablets of flesh, uh, tablets of, of stone. But in verse 3 of chapter 3, he talks about the law written on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And I think he's there thinking of this, these verses from Ezekiel 36. And this is the, the covenant. This is something of the covenant that Jesus introduced through his death and resurrection. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Paul is saying to the people of Corinth, yes, there was law written on tablets of stone, uh, names engraved on precious stones, but what God has come to do in this age is to write his law on your hearts and not on tablets of stone. Next verse, next slide, please. And he says this in verse 11. If what is passing away was glorious, what remains is more glorious. For that, uh, even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels, the glory of the New Testament. Next slide, please. Paul talks about the Old Testament being, being the ministry of condemnation. Verse 9 of chapter 3. If the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Why does he call it the ministry of condemnation? He's talking about the Old Testament. The Old Testament with all its laws, all its procedures, all its rites and rituals. Now, remember, Paul is, was a Pharisee. In other words, he was a professional lawkeeper. He was the best. And he actually says to himself, I was the best of my generation. And yet Paul came to realize that you couldn't earn your salvation through keeping the law. And the Jews, and this would include those false apostles in, two, in, um, in Corinth, they would be aware also that as they tried to follow the law, they could only fail. The law was actually not introduced to enable people to keep the law and therefore be righteous with God. It was introduced so people could find out that actually they couldn't keep the law consistently, that they needed something more. So it was the ministry of death because if they tried to keep the law, they would only find that they, could, they would fail. They could not keep the law and make themselves righteous. That's the ministry of condemnation. And there's the contrast now that Paul wants to bring out to the people of Corinth. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, 
comparing himself with Moses and, the, and the, who put the veil on, we with all un, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So are we free to do everything we choose to do? Well, later on, just a few verses down, Paul describes himself as a bondservant for Jesus Christ. In other words, he was a slave. He had enslaved himself to Jesus Christ. And he encourages us to do exactly the same. So when it talks about liberty, this is not liberty to do what you want. I think there are two liberties here which we can explain. One is that we are set free from the power of sin. Yes, we, are, we sin, we fail, we make mistakes, but we are set free from the power of sin in our lives. And we are also set free to be the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the liberty of which Paul speaks. The Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. As we allow the Spirit of God to work in our lives, there is that liberty to serve the Lord. There is that liberty to be free from sin. And finally the verse, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's God's intent for us, that we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. I talked a moment ago about the glory in the tabernacle and the glory in the temple. And in 1 Corinthians 5 and 19, Paul tells us that we are temples of the Holy Spirit we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and God's intent is that his glory should shine out from us. And as we follow the Lord, as we walk in his ways, God wants to transform us day by day from one degree of glory to another. Chris last week described um, the messy church of to Corinthians, the Corinthian church. And uh, I say, good, the church needs to be messy. Why do I say that? You know, the church is not a bridge club. It's not a nice place where we come and do social stuff together. The church is where broken people with messy lives can come together and be welcomed and to receive the work of the Lord in their hearts. The church should be messy. It should be welcoming in those broken people. I think we could think of the church as something like the surgical unit in a hospital, where people who know there's something wrong, there's something better, come to the surgical unit. And in the pre-op phase, they come under conviction, and they realize that there's nothing they can do. They have to surrender themselves to our divine heart surgeon, the Lord Jesus. And then Jesus does a heart transplant. He takes out the heart of stone and puts in the heart of flesh. 
and it's got a different DNA in it. It's a DNA that wants to be obedient to the Lord Jesus, that rejects sin, that wants to walk with God in the everyday. So that's what's on offer today to each one of us, a new heart, hope for a messed up life, a new heart that wants to follow the Lord Jesus. So if you've not received that new heart, it's your opportunity today to receive a new heart, to have a new start in God. And if you've already made that start, if you know you've got that new heart, well, God wants to do something else in your life today because there's always another degree of glory to which he is calling you. Each one of us are on a road of a journey to God's glory. To that time when Timothy and I think our Queen Elizabeth can, could say, let me just find those verses again in, um, in Timothy. To Timothy 5. This is the journey we're all on. And one day we will be able to say this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Are you on that journey? I hope so. If you're not, we can pray with you and you can start that journey. And if you are on that journey, be expectant. God wants to bring another level of glory in your life. Transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. Amen. Father, we just want to thank you that you are so for us. We've said that before here, Lord, that you are for us, you love us. You want to change us, Lord, from one degree of glory to another, from a messy life to, a, to be a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be at work amongst us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.